Right now, there is a lot of creative energy, especially in my generation. And there are so many kids who, you know, are coming from all around the world who now live here and who want to make movies and who want to write and who want to make music. And there's just such a great art scene in Maine right now. Welcome to Voices of the Future. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. In this series, I'm interviewing young writers and poets from Maine, all of whom have participated in programs of The Telling Room, a nonprofit writing center in Portland. The Telling Room's mission is to empower youth through writing and to share their voices with the world. All of the authors in this series are featured in A New Land, an anthology of 30 poems written at The Telling Room. When I read or hear the work of these writers, I am moved by their enthusiasm, skill, and courage. Some of them were born in Maine, others have come here from Africa and the Middle East. I'll speak with urgency about their lives and their futures. Henry Spritz graduated from Waynefleet School, and now he's a sophomore at Bowdoin College. He was part of the Telling Room's Young Emerging Authors Fellowship when he published his novel, The Road to Terence Field. In this episode, Henry talks about how Maine is a central character in all of his creative work, from writing to film. First, he reads his poem, Hunting for Light. Hunting for Light, Henry Spritz. You knew them when they were bodies of water. Born from pine-tilled earth and northern summers, raised on coastal rock and splintering piers. As soon as they could find the surface, they ran, pulled from carpeted station wagons in the heat of day, leaving morning and screen doors swinging behind them. Pulled, spilling down wooden stairs, running over great lawns, to crest above the blue and the green and the eggshell and the rippling dark schools of guppies. They could see it all in those moments of weightlessness, when their feet left the dock and the ocean seemed to sink back in anticipation, from the stone to the sky to the sea. They felt the water rushing up their backs into their hair, pulling them into an embrace. This is where you met them. When you were too young to remember, friends with faces and names you've forgotten after seasons apart, a decade the time it takes for a childhood to end, you meet them here still. Those who are swept up on the shores as you are after so many tides. Below the surface, their forms mix and become lost with yours and the kids you once were. Their bodies turn to churning water, the pull of a current near your ear, the presence of someone close by. You paddle and turn among them, wrinkled and sleek, eyes closed. You're different creatures here. Those kids who went missing summers back for other states and other lives, they could be swimming around you. Those kids, dead or dying in the morning under a fluorescent bulb and different stars, they dance in the thermals and murmur near you now. Currents shift, bubbles climb, and you pull, 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 leaving them in the dark behind your eyes to emerge on the sunburnt dock, chalked by salt prints like ashes. There they lay, the tired and the dried ones, embalmed in light, faces wrapped in sleep and bleached towels. Even then, you can pretend they are the old friends, hiding beneath worn skin and fresh cotton. Even when the sun joins the game and is pulled under two, and the silhouettes trail towards frames on the hill, hunting for light, 
you can imagine they're the old ones and you give their faces and names to those forms, bodies you once knew in the sea. Thank you so much. So Henry, when did you write Hunting for Light? I would say probably around 15. Um, and I'm 19 now, about to turn 20. The poem was written for the telling room. It was a project I was working on here. And then I've sort of revisited this poem over the years again and again, appropriately, because that's sort of what the poem's also about, is sort of, you know, returning to this place and, you know, how its meaning has changed to you. And in the same way, I felt like I just kept coming back to this poem. Its meaning kept changing, to, you know, for me. And this past year, I sort of spent a little bit more time to really chisel it down, figure out what was at its core, and sort of also make it reflect the few years that had happened, you know, since I originally wrote it. I really feel like I've <laughs> finally kind of finished it. But yeah, it's been a few years in the making. What is at its core for you? For me, it was really about these sort of cycles that you have in your life that aren't measured in sort of constant intervals. You know, it might not be, you know, in years or in days or in decades, but you have these certain places and certain people in your life that you return to again and again and again. And it might take you five years before you see them or, you know, a year before you, you go back to that place. And just about that idea of sort of, you know, well, then how do you measure the space in between those visits or between those experiences? Because you can't just say, oh, it was, you know, it was another year. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's been 10 years since you've seen someone. Um, so that was really what it was about to me. How did you start writing it? This poem was written about a place that I go to or that I've I've lived for most of my life. And it's funny, actually, usually when I'm writing, I tend to sort of avoid things that are very personal or that are actually, you know, my real life experiences. I like to, you know, draw from what I'm seeing in the world around me and sort of use little grains of inspiration and sort of then develop a whole story around that. And I usually sort of shy away from stuff in my own life. So I think that's sort of another reason why this poem has, I've been working on it for so long is because you protect those moments so preciously, you know, from moments from your own life. This has just been something where I started a long time ago and I've always known that it was very precious to me. So I've, I've been very careful and very sort of delicate with it. Where's the specific place? This is up near Belfast. It's a small, small town outside of Belfast. Do you still tinker with it in your mind? Like while you're having coffee and you go, oh, yeah, I think I need to change that line or want to add this. With other pieces of writing and with other projects, that does happen to me. But with this piece, actually, it really has been something that I've only revisited very infrequently. And when I do revisit it, then I, I, change, the, I change everything, you know, and I completely rewrite it. The meaning of this and, and the purpose of this poem changes every time I feel like I have one of these sort of full circle moments that this piece is about. There's a part of it that's very poignant when you talk about people who may have passed on, but just the sense of a passage of time, your life over time, and the constancy of the place juxtaposed with the things that change all around it. Exactly, right. That's the perfect way to put it. Another part of this poem is also, you know, if you do have people in your life who pass away or who, who are no longer part of your life, you still, I think, you attach a part of, you know, your connection to that person to other things. 
there was a certain place you always knew that person or a certain song that always reminded you of them. You know, you, you still have these, these connections to that person, even if they're not in your life. And when you've had such a strong connection to both a person and a place, like this poem is sort of about, you know, if that person is no longer there, then you still have that very strong connection. And that's sort of what, you know, I talk about in the poem, sort of swimming underwater and sort of almost pretending like these bodies around you, they may be strangers, but you know, when you have your eyes closed and all you can sort of feel is just the presence of someone nearby, you can sort of almost pretend like it's it's someone else, you know, and you can still almost make that connection. Exactly like you said, part of this is about how these places in our life might seem like they remain constant, but what actually makes them up, the people, the experiences, you know, the memories, all that stuff is very, it's constantly changing and constantly evolving. And just that sort of dance of both the constant, and the ephemeral, that's also what this is all about. It has a dreamlike quality. And it also strikes me that your, like your sense of, of place seems very strong. Absolutely. Maine is the most important character in every serious project I've ever worked on. And I've also done a lot of stuff in film. And that's sort of where I've been focusing a lot of my uh, attention recently. I've lived in Portland, I've lived up near Belfast, and now I'm, you know, I'm living in Brunswick. And I feel like I just really have a good understanding for this place. And there's a lot to be inspired by here. It's an incredibly beautiful place. And when you also have just a lineage of, of experience and of, of history here with your family, yeah, I just I have a very strong connection to Maine. So you get, went to Bowdoin last year and you're moving into the dorm and people are coming from all over the country and abroad and somebody says, where are you from? You say, Maine. And they say, well, what's it like to grow up here? Like, what would you say when, did you have any of those conversations? I always wanted to to leave Maine. I, I was planning on going to, to California, to New York City for college. And I ended up staying here. And... That's because I think that Maine is a place that there is still so much to explore and so much that's undiscovered and so much that is, there are like worlds in the small details, you know? And I think that people, you know, you can come to Maine and say, oh, it's, you know, a lot of it is just forest. A lot of it is just coastline. But if you take the time, there are so many incredibly rich stories that are all sort of hiding beneath the surface. Um, just as many as you could find in New York or Los Angeles, you know. What stories are inspiring you? Right now, there is a lot of creative energy, especially in my generation. There are so many kids who, you know, are coming from all around the world who now live here and who want to make movies and who want to write and who want to make music. And there's just such a great art scene in Maine right now, and especially in Portland. And it's really beautiful to see all these different sort of perspectives and voices and cultures coming together. And that's something the Telling Room is a huge part of. I mean, the telling room is really like, is is really helping make that happen and giving kids a, a voice and a chance to express themselves. When did you first come to the telling room? A seventh grade. Yeah, that was when I was I was part of the first class of young emerging authors, which was yeah seventh grade, and at the time it was just a it was the first year of the program and. I met some amazing people in that program, and from there on, I was you know involved in different different programs. I've done different different things, everything from running a five k or ten k to doing some film projects and stuff for the telling room. So I've done I've done everything. Do you remember what it was like when when you first came in? You're in seventh grade. Where did you think of yourself as a writer then? No, no. I mean, 
when you're in seventh grade, you have all these, you know, these wild ideas and these sort of these huge ambitions. And, you know, I remember coming here and feeling like, you know, I'd finally, you know, at the time it was like, I'd finally made it, you know, it was like, I'd found the, the people and the place that, you know, that were going to propel me and, 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 and sort of push me, give me the push that I needed, you know, I, and that was huge because also just to have someone say your ideas, you know, you know, we like your ideas. We want to, we want to help you. We want to make this too. That was, that's huge. Just having someone, you know, give you that confidence. That's invaluable. So in addition to the, the poetry, you're mostly working on films now. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of, a lot of screenwriting. And then I also am a filmmaker. So I've been writing scripts and making films for the past couple of years. I see that as the exact same, you know, muscle as writing poetry. And I really try and take all of the skills and all the techniques that I learned, you know, the past almost like 10 years now of writing. And I try and use all of those when I'm making films and try and make the film, you know, have the same, the same rhythms and the same, you know, same structures and the same musicality that I would try to apply to a poem or to apply to a piece of writing. So I see it as a direct, you know, extension of all the work that I've done at the telling room and outside. Tell me about a film, your favorite ones or one you're working on now. Right now, actually, this past year when I was at Bowdoin, my first year, I spent the year writing a feature length, which is something I had never attempted before. The two central characters are two young artists in a small main town that, for several reasons, is sort of kind of disappearing off the map. And they're really the last of a few kids left from their generation. And so they, over the course of one summer, try and create a, a project that captures what the essence of their generation, you know, what was the what was the essence of their childhood there? And what was, you know, what were the key moments? What were the key memories? What were the key experiences, the, the feelings that defined growing up in that town before they're gone and potentially anyone else who remembers what it was like is gone. Where did you film it? In Portland, um, actually up in near Belfast, where this is written about a little bit in Sanford, where my mom's from, Westbrook, all around in the Southern Maine area. Who are some of your filmmakers who inspire you? So I'll shout out some some local artists. I know Daniel Kayumba has actually done some stuff for the telling room, but he's another Portland filmmaker who I've done a lot of work with in Portland and who is an incredible filmmaker. I'm inspired by him. My friend Claude, who I also worked on this film with. In general, I, f I find that I've actually like drawn most of my inspiration for films from music or from, you know, writing, from, from poetry. I actually rarely feel like I, I watch a movie and think, oh, that's something that I'm trying to capture. It's more I listen to a song and think, oh, that's a, a melody that, you know, that's a feeling that I want to incorporate into the film. Or, you know, I, you know, read a, read a poem or read a piece of writing and think, oh, that's, a, that's another feeling that I want to bring in. It's all just about finding these little moments that speak to me in, in the world around me and, and bringing them into one project and less about sort of trying to take one style or one, you know, one aesthetic and then just copy it over. And you've been making art since you were 13. Yeah. I'm privileged enough to have a lot of, you know, resources to be able to make, you know, projects like a feature length film, you know, and a lot of other kids are, you know, I'm sure it's much more difficult for them to get up and to work on their passions and their projects. And yeah, for me, it's really, you know, I really believe that art 
is like the most transformative, powerful thing that you could you could dedicate your life to. I really believe that. And when I, you know, see some of the things going on in the world, I really feel like that just that's more of a need for us to push harder and to continue making and creating and working together. I mean, art is you're collaborating with other people, you're you're understanding other people's perspectives, you're working together to create something greater, to create a piece of art, to create something beautiful that will hopefully inspire other people. And so to me, it is the most like powerful force in this world is art. Voices of the Future is hosted and conceived by me and produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum at Future Projects with help from Carly Perruccio. The music in this episode is by Jordan Kramer. The series is made possible by the Academy of American Poets with funds from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. To learn more about the Telling Room and its programs, visit tellingroom.org. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening.